0: From app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for another episode of Jersey Jump Shot, episode nine on the season coming at you a day earlier this week we like to keep you on your toes thanks for sticking with us Ryan Ross here of course with Jerry Carino Steve Edelson and Chris Eisman a big week of college basketball uh you know we're, we're a day early on the show this week and you know what just to switch things up even more we're going to have a little bit of a different format as well of course get into our teams and things like that but uh some hot topic issues locally that that really kind of go across the nation and across uh, college basketball the the entire landscape and we're gonna start with Geo Baker from Rutgers uh, criticizing the NCAA uh, this is a, a fresh story of course Geo Baker local here for Rutgers but uh, it's being picked up by national media outlets and it's once again kind of sparking the debate so Jerry we're gonna start with you just get us up to speed on Geo Baker and his comments and your thoughts about what he had to
1: say right so the the uh the NCAA March Madness Instagram account had a podcast and there was a quote from Baylor coach Scott Drew that said, you know, guys are breaking up with their longtime girlfriends to keep the bubble tight and play games. In other words, the sacrifices these college athletes are making living in isolation and it, it rubbed Geo Baker the wrong way. He, he commented on Instagram saying, and we're still amateurs and I'm going to just read his comments here to get everyone up to speed. That's not this is Baker now on Instagram Uh, that's nothing compared to what we bring to our schools, not even saying schools should pay players, which already happens anyway. There he's referring to them getting their stipends, uh, but others can create their own business and make money off it. So why would an athlete not be allowed to do that? I have to sign a paper that says my name and likeness belongs to the school modern day slavery. And then he says, you realize we were playing in a pandemic being told to stay away from everyone we love just for y'all entertainment. But I can't sell my own jersey with my last name on it to help my future financially. That makes sense to you. Now, what what happens next is, you know, Fox News and Yahoo pick this pick this up, and they run story with the word slavery in the headline, and then it takes off into the into the bloodstream of the you know sports fans' conversation. Uh, I try to give players some space when it comes to letting them just espouse what they want on their own social media accounts. But this one I thought needed to be addressed because it's a hot topic. It's being discussed. It's an issue that, you know, generally speaking, he makes a good point on the issue and it needs to be discussed. I just want to say, you know, catch up to speed on my take after talking, spending the morning talking to people in college athletics off the record just to get their thoughts about this. And I'd like to hear what you know what you guys think about it. Uh, but first, as a former high major Division One athlete, so I have a little bit of insight, albeit a little dated. About the demands and perks these young men and women face. But modern-day slavery, let's talk about that word in the headline first. It's not the words, the words I would use. And I could see how people who are dealing with a mountain of student debt, you know, could take umbrage with that phrase coming from someone who's getting 100000 dollars or more worth of free education, room and board, top-of-the-line food, tutoring, you know, preferential housing, tons of gear, you know, five figures worth of stipends. You can see how someone would take umbrage with that who's paying off amount of student debt or has kids in school struggling to pay the tuition. So, so I respect, I respect Joe Baker's right to voice his opinion. And also, I also respect the opinions of those who are put off by, by his use of the term slavery in his context. That said, that said, let's move beyond the lightning rod word and into the substance here. And that is, you know, I, I this hit me, hit me hard because I had assumed until now, until I read those comments, I had assumed that college athletes wanted to play this season. You know, we've seen we've seen the clamor. You, you guys have all seen the clamor among high school athletes for their sports to take place. You know, we saw in the fall when the Big Ten uh, postponed or canceled football originally, how Big Ten football players openly rebelled against the league saying, we want to play. Um, we've also heard from coaches and players all season long who said, hey, we want to play because it gives us a much-needed sense of normalcy. It's the Basketball is the only normal thing in our lives right now. So we've heard that all along. And, and putting all those things together, my take to this point has been, hey, this is good for the players' mental health to play. If they didn't play, it would be bad. That's a pretty binary view. And I think what we're seeing now is there's more to it than that. There's I think we're seeing how this isolation and the restrictions these players are living under are wearing on them. You know, three months, four months into this. You get the impression that Gio he feels Geo Baker feels like he's being exploited and you know, and isolated. And and after reading his words the first time, I I thought I, I had a second thought. Should should we really be doing this if it's bothering these guys that much? That's kind yeah. of my where I stand on it's complicated.
2: It, it's absolutely complicated, but the pandemic has brought so many issues to to a head here. This is not a new issue, but now you have student athletes kind of putting themselves at risk for basically the entertainment of the rest of the country and yeah, I can see how they would start thinking about this a little bit more now. Um but again, This is an issue that the NCAA has struggled to get its arms around for years now, and they still have no good plan on how to do it. And it's going to be interesting to see where this goes from here, because listen, how do you distinguish between a future NBA player and the fifth guy on the bench who may give the team a spark when he comes in and is busting his ass every day in practice? How do you differentiate between those two? They're both important to that team, to that school. Uh, You know, there's so many issues that have to be dealt with here. Um, But listen, I I understand the pandemic is is bringing all these issues to a head.
0: And Geo Baker is not the, the first athlete to criticize the NCAA, and he certainly won't be the last athlete to criticize the NCAA. And these are arguments that we've heard before and we will hear again. And there's a lot of people that are very vocal and it's a very divisive topic. People, you know, as Jerry kind of alluded to, will say, well, they're going to college for free. Isn't that good enough? While other people will see their names and faces on billboards. And if you buy a number one jersey, may not have the name on the back, but you sure as heck know who it is. And then you just throw the pandemic into this. And we've mentioned it a couple of times on the show, the mental health of these student athletes. And when you see a comment like that from Geo Baker I'm sure he's not the only one that thinks that way. You have to worry about the mental health of these guys and what they're going through this season.
2: I think I think you're heading for a two-tier system in all of college sports. I mean, you are going to have the the Power Five group, and then you're going to have everybody else. I mean, most schools can't afford to to compensate players. They they're losing money. I mean, look at just look at Rutgers. Rutgers hemorrhages money every year. Now they're going to have to start paying players.
1: Well, no, but that, Steve, that's why the NIL, the NIL, which I think is what Baker referring to here, the name, image, likeness. It's sort of that sort of absolves the school from paying that. It's the 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 spirit of the NIL, which is why it's something that could work, is that players can go and get the deals from outside, you know, from the local car dealership or a local restaurant. Geo Baker can get a deal with Dick Sporting Goods in East Brunswick, and they'll they'll pay him for advertising, not Rutgers. So it does. It, we, I think everyone agrees, like, schools are, are financially strapped. How can they pay these players? But the NIL sort of gets around that, and it seems like a fair compromise. I think, and you're right, Steve. The, the NCAA has dragged its feet. Like, this has been a year now. They've had a committee studying this and still nothing. And it, the, the coaches don't want it because, as one coach said to me, you know, the first question I'm going to ask in recruiting, if there's an NIL, is what kind of endorsement deals can you line up for my, my kid? or my player, you know, what kind of deals do you have? What kind of money can they make before anything else? And coaches don't want to deal with that. So this it is complicated, but look, the NIL has to happen. It's probably going to happen it's taken too long to happen. Steve is exactly right that the pandemic is bringing this issue to a head, but it's just—it's too simplistic to say like Geo Baker is bashing the NCA. He's doing more than that. He's criticizing his situation in the Big Ten at Rutgers. And when you look at it that way, it's not yeah Geo versus the NCA. Geo's upset with what's going on right now at his school and his league. So, you know, maybe in his program and not against Steve Peichel, but against the rules that are being enforced. So there's more to it than just guy yells at the NCA with here here. And I think it's a window into a cry for help, maybe a little bit and something that should be taken seriously.
0: And, and kind of like what Steve said, too, it, it flips the whole narrative that, you know, we need sports to return to normalcy. This isn't a normal season, and he's not going through a, a, a normal life right now. Uh, none of these college athletes are. You can't call it normal when you have months off at a time due to COVID shutdowns. You're playing in empty arenas. Uh, so, you know, the argument that, you know, we need sports to to have some measure of normalcy. We don't have that anyway with the season going on this year. And, you know, this- right, but
1: my, my thing is, my thing is, right, that, that they this is this should not be about the fans. Who cares what mm-hmm. fans need or don't need? To me, the reason why you play sports is for the players. You know, it's so they have something to do that's that's fairly normal and good for their mental health. And if it's not good, then maybe it has to be reevaluated. Um, I do know, look, these players are living in rooms alone. They are not allowed to see family. They're not allowed to see people outside of the team. They are going to hotels on road trips and getting their own room when they eat. And a lot of times, you know, at home they're eating together. But the states they go to where they cannot eat together, they have to take food in the hotel, and go back to their room and eat alone. That's hard when this goes on for four months, and I think why this is coming out now is, this is now two, three, two and a half months into the season. Maybe in like early December, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, but this stuff's wearing on these guys, and you have another two months to go here, maybe. So it is, re- it's it's uncharted waters, but it's clear that the the isolation nature of the way this is being handled, I don't know that there's a better way, is breaking down some of these guys mentally a little bit, and the average fan needs to understand that.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm curious to see what happens next, both from Gio and from his coach and if other athletes and coaches around the country either speak out uh, in support or they offer their views that maybe uh, go against what Geo had to say. But of course, he's he's welcome to share his opinion. He's living it right now. So it's a story worth talking about and something that I'm sure we'll be, uh, we'll be following over the course of this podcast and over the course of the rest of the season should any more comments come out uh, about this topic. Uh, another big topic, too, that we want to touch on has to do with the conference tournaments and the idea that the auto bid for winning the conference tournament – again, in this pandemic season might be stripped. So what is our thoughts on that? Um, More or less, you know, we we talked about conference tournaments, I believe, last show too, and if they're even worth playing at this point. But uh, what are the thoughts on that? And is
1: this something that we could realistically see? So two weeks ago, Steve and I argued about this, right? And we were a little ahead of the curve on this, Steve. So let's pat ourselves (laughs) on the back. Um, But I said, can the conference tournament? Steve said, no way. This is a big deal for the players. And, you know, I thought I thought about it. Maybe Steve's right. But I think in any, in any case, the conference tournaments are going to go forward. They're going to go forward. They're going to take place. The question is, are teams going to opt out? You know, will Creighton fly from Omaha to midtown Manhattan in the middle of a pandemic and play these games and risk getting COVID uh, when the, that could disqualify them from the NCAA tournament, when they're in the tournament with room to spare with a nice seed. you know, is, is that going to happen with, with, uh, is, is Iowa going to do that? Is is Michigan gonna do? You know, is Michigan gonna fly to Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament and put themselves at risk? So if if teams start opting out, then the question becomes, you know, can so let's just say for example, Gonzaga opts out of their conference tournament, right? Gonzaga is gonna be a one seed. There's no incentive for them to really play that tournament. Um, they opt out. Now the winner of the West Coast Conference gets an automatic bid. The tournament gets an automatic bid. Now the one bid league is sending two teams. Same thing with the American conference, Houston. They got a, like a two seed wrapped up. They could opt out. Now the American uh, conference tournament winner, there's probably five leagues like this who could steal an extra bid if the top teams opt out. This could become a thing. And so the NCAA, I think, I think, I don't know. I don't have the sure insight, but the vibe I'm getting is they're going to get ahead of this and say, you know what? The auto bid goes to the winner of the regular season. So if they opt out, you know, the, the, the West Coast Conference can't just steal an extra at large bid. Uh, and that's going to have to be addressed. And, my, you know, you could see a Big East tournament. You could see one where Villanova and Creighton aren't in it. And, like, Seton Hall and Connecticut are the favorites to win it. But, Steve, my question for you is, like, how would this affect, say, the MAC when – if Siena wins the regular season and has the auto bid, how does that affect their tournament?
2: I think there has to be a, a better way to do it than to just have a blanket, no auto bids. I maybe Maybe it's something where, look, if – if you're the uh, if you're the regular season champion and you you know and you pull out of the tournament, you know maybe then you lose your automatic bid and 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 guys in the tournament then are scrambling for other spots at large bids or or something like that because if you do it just blanket, that is going to really hurt a lot of leagues. You know a lot of leagues where you know one bid leagues where. That's what you're going to the tournament for. You know, you want to be Cinderella. And you're going to take that away? I, I That just, again, I understand that, that there are some issues, but I, I just don't think you can make a blanket statement like that, that no uh, no uh, automatic bids, particularly this late in the game. And, it, I mean, listen, we're less than 40 days away from the start of conference tournaments here. I mean, when are you going to announce that? Um, so, I again, I it, it would really affect – one-bid leagues for sure. And uh, that's why I think it would really hurt them if they did that.
1: Keep an eye out for that, because I think it's very possible within the next two weeks you're going to hear something from the NCAA about this.
0: And, and I agree. They they need to come out and say something now uh, to, to get ahead of this and to to make sure they have something in place. Teams, they, they eliminate risk all the time this isn't anything new um obviously in the with the pandemic avoiding games and avoiding illness is is something new to this season but we see it all the time it's the same reason a star player comes out and rides the bench when the team's up 30 it's the same reason patrick mahomes didn't play week 17 of the regular season you see it all the time where teams would you, bl- would you blame risk.
1: would you blame gonzaga for pulling out of the wcc tournament what do they have would to blame them? what do they have to play for they, but then they have the, it then the west coast conference gets a second bid they're taking a team that does not belong in the NCAA tournament. It's going to now take a bid from from you know like a a, a bubble team like a Seton all or a Rutgers, perhaps.
0: I mean, is a case by case basis? Is that something that would would solve this? I mean, how can you you go to each individual conference? I feel like there needs to be a blanket rule, but it's almost that a case by case basis would work best. But I wouldn't expect to see that.
1: And maybe maybe the WCC is a bad example because BYU is pretty good, but there's a handful of leagues that. Could fall under this and you got to keep you know this bid stealing thing with the with the automatic bid and you, you have to keep an eye out for this it's a major issue it's going to explode in the next two weeks
0: and another topic too at the top of the show here well i guess we're not really at the top of the show anymore <laughs> 15 minutes or so in but uh, another topic we wanted to touch on too is just as this season goes on you know we, we talked about geo baker and how it's wearing on the players but it's 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 just a, such an odd season, Jerry, and I know you experienced this at the Seton Hall Villanova game, just sitting in the empty arena, and it's it's just surreal. We're almost kind of used to it now, watching these games and you know seeing the cardboard cutouts or, or whatever it might be in these empty arenas. But to to experience it in person, Jerry, what is that like?
1: So I've I've been to two games this year. Chris has been to more than me. He's been to the rack several times, so he could discuss this too. But it was it was kind of sad. It was kind of depressing to be at the Rock yesterday, 18,000 seats, place is empty. The hockey rink is up, like the hockey walls are up around the court, right? And it was, you know, you had about 50, 40 or 50 parents of seating all players, which was nice that they're allowed to come. Uh, They're there and sitting in the club level, open air seats, but high up. So they're yelling, you could hear them a little bit, but it it was pretty antiseptic. It just didn't feel like college basketball. Chris, you've seen a lot of this this year. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think depressing is the word. You know, I remember the first time pulling into the rack um, before their home opener. It was just bizarre. I mean, no one in the parking lot. And then, you know, you go inside, there's no one in the concourses. And then during the game, I mean, I think about the other day when they beat Michigan State. You know, some of those Miles Johnson uh, dunks, I mean, the place would have been going crazy. And there's just nothing. Uh, It's just a depressing feeling. We all know how great the environment is at the rack when it's packed. um, And obviously what it does for Rutgers, you know, on the court and how much it kind of, you know, helps them win. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's totally bizarre. And, and quite frankly, it's, it's just, I hope that we never, ever have to go through anything like this again, because it's just for the players, the coaches and, and the fans, and then us covering the games, we don't, you, we feed off the energy in some ways too. So, you know, we want that back as soon as possible, because this is just, uh, it's, it's depressing.
0: And, and to, we mentioned too family in the stands and, you know, just kind of circling back to the mental health of these athletes to at least, uh, you know, when the situation permits to have a, a few loved ones in the stands to be able to watch these games, that has to go a long way, just to at least bring a little bit of noise, a little bit of support uh, on a very limited basis, of course, uh, to these games.
1: Yes, there's no reason why in an 18,000 seat arena you can't have 50 family members of Seton Hall's players there, and I would say the same for the rack at 8,000 seats. And Steve, what do you, I mean? You tell me. You you know, mammoth has got a nice court of seats. What, four thousand? Could Yeah, about 45. For yep. They think you probably put fifty parents in there without causing an issue, right?
2: I think you absolutely could, and I think that's a smart thing to do. And I think, you know, I just think you talk about the mental health of the pa- of the players. I think that would really help the mental health of the players. You know, if their if their parents could actually sit in the sand, socially distanced, really no risk, uh, I think that just makes sense.
1: Yeah, and we talk about the mental health of the players. It's just an easy fix, not a fix, but an easy an easy step you could take to help alleviate a little bit of that. Uh, the, uh, th- if I'm, if I'm an AD at, at at Monmouth, if I'm the AD at Rutgers, if I'm, you know, St. Peter's, whatever, and I see Seton Hall getting this allowance and they got it because of the devils, the devils are the ones who got it. Uh, and then share, share a building in the Prudential Center. I'm, I'm on the phone with the governor's office saying, Hey, we need this allowance too. You know, we got a pretty big arena. We can space people out. So yeah, I, I, I think this guys. would be the absolute no brainer.
3: I agree with you guys. I think it's a great idea just for the players and the families. I think to be able to just to see each other. Um, I think that would make a big difference for them.
0: Yeah, and hopefully it's something we start to see, you know, you see it around the country, too. And of course, it is case by case, depending on the location and, and what the, the the cases look like, I guess, in, in those locations. So I understand teams kind of uh, looking at their own situations. And of course, you have to follow the, the local guidelines and things like that. But I agree. It's just a nice thing to have a player to, to be able to look up in the stands. We've talked about how they're isolated and how this is just really wearing on them and to look up and be able to see their parents or whoever it might be in the stands, that that would go a long way for them. Uh, so hopefully that's something we start to see. Uh, in the last 10 minutes or so, let's actually get into these teams and into these games. We'll start with Seton Hall. Uh, just a heartbreaking loss to Creighton uh, this past week, blowing a 16-point lead. They lose to Villanova on Saturday. Providence coming up on Wednesday and UConn on Saturday. Jerry, your thoughts on the Seton Hall Pirates right now?
1: So, tough, very rough week for Seton Hall. Uh, They had a chance, three straight games now, they've had a chance to knock off a big boy and put that big feather in their cap. And one of them they lost, as we discussed last week, on a terrible officials call. They prevented the game from going OT. And then Wednesday they blow a 16-point lead to lose it home to Creighton. The worst, the biggest lead they've allowed uh, to evaporate at home under Kevin Willard in 11 years. And then, you know, they lose to Villanova again they got to play these heavyweights three times in a row because of the way the schedule shook out. They lose to Villanova again by eight on Saturday. And, you know, Villanova's is that good this is better. You know, Villanova brought their A game and they were just better. So now Seton Hall goes on the road. And the question is, Can Set- will Seton Hall make the NCAA tournament? Where do they stand? The idea that it was a must win, they had to beat Villanova Saturday was nonsense. Of course, not a must win in January. But what they did have to do was, what they do have to do now is, they got to start winning some games. And it starts this week on the road at Providence, on the road at UConn. you got to get a split. Seton Hall has to get to, if they get to 12 conference wins, 12 conference wins, they're in the tournament with no sweat. Okay? And they're going to be favored after this week. They're probably going to be favored in every one of the remaining um, six games. So they probably have eight games left. They're probably not going to get to the Xavier game. They're not going to get replayed. They have to go. They have to go six and two in their last eight games. They'll be underdogs twice this week. Then they're going to be favored probably in the last six. So if they can get a split this week, they'll stay ahead of the curve. They have to get a split this week, and they should be able to get one against one of these teams. If they do that, they'll be on the road to riding the ship. I do think they'll get to 12 conference wins. 11 probably gets them on the bubble. 12 gets them in. I do think they'll get there. It starts this week. Just Dust yourself off, turn the page, and move on. You had a crappy week, you lost a couple daggers to the heart, move on. That's what you got to do, you have to have a short memory.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's a weird thing. I mean, talking about the NCAA tournament, it's a sports cliche, you hear it all the time on the talk shows, if the season were to end today, is this team in the playoffs? Is this team in the tournament? Uh, unfortunately, the season could end today for some of these schools. We've seen month-long layoffs. So, I mean, Jerry, at this point, if you're the selection committee, are you putting teen Hall into the tournament today?
1: Probably right on the fence. I don't know. Maybe. I didn't map it out, you know, 1 through 68. It's close. Probably not, or maybe they're on the fence. But they, they'll they have plenty of chances to get back in, which is why bracketology in late January, early February, is kind of specious, right? I mean, there's so much ball left to be played. Now, the question is, the thing is, you got to get the games in. Right. One COVID pause will kill you, or if you lose a couple of games because other teams are pausing, that could kill you. Mm-hmm. So you're at the mercy of some elements that are somewhat outside of your control. But, you know, if they get the games in, I don't think Seton Hall fans should panic. I think they'll wind up getting there. Um, but, yeah, that that's they do they do need a couple more quality wins, and they'll have two chances this week. After that, you just got to win the games you should win. And same thing for Rutgers,
0: uh, Chris. They have a nice 30-point win over Michigan State. Really, just a, a blowout there. Uh, they have Northwestern happening later on today. Um, how? What is the state of the Scarlet Knights? Are, are do you think they're in? Uh, they have Minnesota on Thursday. That would certainly help their case. But uh, what's the state of the Scarlet Knights as we enter this week?
3: Yeah, I mean, this is an important stretch for them. They have to keep winning games and um, there's certainly opportunities to do that beginning with Northwestern, uh, then you got a team against Minnesota, which has had its own struggles and um, is the worst three point shooting team in the Big Ten. So there are opportunities there for Rutgers to really improve its resume. Certainly the last two games, it's got some momentum. It's playing uh, some of its better basketball this season it looks much closer to the, the way it did uh, earlier on you know, during its win streak. So I think that there are certainly opportunities there to continue to improve its standing. Um, they're playing well, and, and they have a chance to do that. So, you know, I think if they if they take advantage of the stretch ahead of them, and they're going to be in good shape.
1: Ten and ten. If Rutgers gets to ten and ten in the league, they'll they'll get in. No questions asked. Uh, if they're nine and if they're Man, nine and this- eleven, then uh, that could be could be problematic. Bubble time. Nine and eleven. Um, not ten is the magic number, and I think they'll get there. That Minnesota game looks a lot less interesting now. Minnesota in is really tumbling. They've not got, played well. well. They got whacked by Purdue. Uh, that Minnesota game is not something Rutgers. I don't think they can gain much from winning it at home. They have to win it, uh, so it wouldn't be a bad loss. But Minnesota will not be ranked when they play next week.
3: Yeah, and if you look at their schedule, I mean, they got two games against Minnesota, two against Northwestern, they got a Nebraska game in there. There, there's, there's that's a that's a very winnable schedule for Rutgers, no question about it.
1: Win the games you should win, get to ten, and you're in.
0: Yep. There you go. And and like Jerry said, too, we're kind of getting in a race against the clock with, uh, with some of these games. Hopefully they're able to get all of these games in and teams like Rutgers and Seton Hall are able to add to their resumes. But of course, that's a big if this year. Uh, but we'll keep an eye. Minnesota on Thursday, like you said, Jerry, winnable game for Rutgers. We'll keep an eye on the Scarlet Knights. And Steve, as for our New Jersey mid-majors, let's start with Monmouth. Um, they have kind of a, a revolving schedule. We talked about this last show. They end up going out to Niagara. They get a split there. Uh, their games with Ryder, I believe, right. were rescheduled. So a little bit of a gap now
2: for the Hawks. There's no gap, but th- there has been a shuffling of the schedule. Um, so again, what I would say for every mid-major and th- this goes for Monmouth, this goes for every one of our mid-majors and every mid-major around the country. And I wrote about this last week. You have got to make hay now. Claw your way to the top of your league. If you can because you do not know what is going to happen. If the NCAA comes out and says, hey, we're taking regular season champions, if your league championship gets canceled, you've got to do everything you can to get to the top of your standings right now. And for Monmouth, you know, they came in in third place. They're still in third place. They had a chance to sweep at Niagara. That would have been huge, because if they had swept this weekend and... If Siena loses at Marist, you know, Marist beat them yesterday. They play again today. Monmouth would have been tied in winning percentage with Iona, who has only played four games. So really, Monmouth would have been pretty much in first place in that league and kind of held their own destiny. But they couldn't do it, but they're close. And again, that goes for any mid-major. You've got to do what you can now. Don't you, You have no idea what's coming around the corner.
1: Steve Iona's going, is gonna have gone 50 plus games without 50 plus days without a game.
2: I'm not sure if it's that much. They're supposed to play on Friday, I believe. And I think I calculated it uh December 23rd was their last game. It's I think it's like 44, maybe. Um but anyway, a lot. A lot. And <laughs> and again, are they gonna play then? I don't know. And then if they've if they get to, let's just say they get to the NCA minimum of 13. And but, you know, maybe they have a decent winning percentage, but they haven't played nearly as many games as other teams. Well, what do you do with them then? You know, there's a there's a lot of questions to be answered, really.
1: So St. Peter's did themselves a big favor this weekend by sweeping Manhattan. You got to just rack up the W's.
2: Exactly. It's since listen, St. Peter's, if they can get on a roll, you know, they could get to the top of that league. They're not that far off.
1: And FDU just edged Bryant, which is a big win, Bryant's playing well. Good team. So that was a good, after you, you know, 81-79. Jaleel Jenkins hit a three with 18 seconds left. Had a tremendous game. So so you got to do it now. You're right. There is no tomorrow for these teams. The,
0: the the second sports cliche of the show, you know, playing every game like it's your last. This is the, the approach that especially these mid-majors have to have when you're having 40-day pauses, uh, you know, potentially coming to your program. Uh, you have to get those wins in your pocket because who knows what? what the criteria for going to the NCAA tournament is going to be, whether it's regular season champ, whether it's the conference tournament, who knows all you can do is control what you have in front of you. And that's winning these games. So we will there certainly is
1: no tomorrow rock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, of course, but um, yeah, we'll keep <laughs> these mid majors of course. And uh, we will be back uh, next week with episode 10 Ten shows we've already done uh, starting next week. Uh, nine under our belts now. Uh, of course, a day early this Sunday. Thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Real quick, guys, we'll go around. Jerry, start with you. Uh, what can some of our listeners read across the USA Today Network, New Jersey, this week?
1: I'm working on a, a ranking of uh, all-time New Jersey college basketball coaches. All levels, both genders. Uh, it's fascinating. Good to, to, to uh, develop some discussion. And uh, hopefully I'll have it done this week. That's the goal.
3: I'll have a uh, story previewing Rutgers in Minnesota um, later this week, Wednesday. And, uh, you know, another big game for Rutgers. So we'll see what they can do.
2: Yeah, I'm going to have plenty of mid-major madness, I'm sure, this week. And uh, we're also going to have a a story posting on Tuesday morning on the 50 greatest male athletes ever at Monmouth. So that'll be interesting.
0: Good stuff. Be looking out for all of those thank you for listening to episode nine of jersey jump shot be sure to tell your friends to subscribe on soundcloud spotify or itunes we'll be back next week of course to talk more college basketball in the garden state for chris for jerry for steve i'm ryan thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week jersey jump shot is a production of the asbury park press and usa today network Subscribe at APP.com.